In Psalm number 4, we're going to be looking at this psalm under the heading, The Lord Rescues. The Lord Rescues. And in this series, Loving the Psalms, uh, the whole point of this is as we, in the morning and in the evening, as we're going through these, and there may be parts of the psalms that cause us difficulty. We're not exactly sure what they're saying. So the whole, one of the purposes of this series is really that when we're singing through any part of the Psalter, that we would do so with understanding and see Christ in there. And effectively, when we're singing the Psalms, we're really singing the gospel. We're singing the good news. We're singing Christ. We're singing what we are to believe and what is set before us in the truth. And what better way to offer praise to our God in heaven than what he has given us himself. Um, there's been many wonderful um, poetry and things like that has been written by many men over the years. But this is God's inspired and inerrant word. And it is special. And it is the most precious thing we can hide in our hearts as we sing what God has revealed and what is pleasing before Almighty God. And as we look at the Lord who rescues in Psalm number four, we enter into a world, we could say, of trouble. And you're going to see this a lot in the Psalms. The Psalms, what's wonderful about the Psalms is they deal with real life. There's no sense when you go through the Psalter that life is easy. There's no sense when you go through the Psalter that life is just happy once you become a believer there's actually a sense of when you when you go through the different psalms you wonder at times how many more difficult trials can the psalmist go through and David who wrote many of them went through many difficult times and of course this points towards the greater David that is the Lord Jesus Christ but they really speak to our own experience as well don't they as believers in desperate need of help, in crisis, and not just to seek any help, but seek the right help, the help from Almighty God himself, God's help, because it's only really God who can rescue us, rescue us from our sin, and rescue us from those, the plight and trial that we face. No matter the trial and no matter the challenge, there is nothing too great for our God. So whatever you're facing here this evening, we pray that this psalm as we read it would encourage you to seek the right help. As many helps offered in the world for when we're feeling down and, and many of us do. But the Lord really wants us to seek for help. The right kind of help. And there's no sugarcoating. I love the Psalms. There's no sugarcoating with the, the trial and the difficulty. And you even see it in verse 2 there. How long, all you sons of man? There's lamentation. There's, there's real difficulty for the psalmist here. So Psalm number 4. We're going to read this Psalm. Psalm number 4. Let us hear God's holy word. It says at the beginning, To the chief musician with stringed instruments... A psalm of David. Hear me when I call, O God of my righteousness. You have relieved me in my distress. Have mercy on me and hear my prayer. How long, O you sons of men, 
Will you turn my glory to shame? How long will you love worthlessness and seek falsehood? Selah. But know that the Lord has set apart for himself him who is godly. The Lord will hear when I call to him. Be angry and do not sin. Meditate within your heart on your bed and be still. Selah. Offer the sacrifices of righteousness and put your trust in the Lord. There are many who say, who will show us any good? Lord, lift up the light of your countenance upon us. You have put gladness in my heart more than in the season that their grain and wine increased. I will both lie down in peace and sleep. For you alone, O Lord, make me dwell in safety. And may the Lord bless the reading of his holy and his infallible word. Has anyone here ever faced dark times? And I'm sure everybody could raise up their hand. Everyone here. Some more, some less. But we've all faced really, really dark times. Times you wonder if you will ever come out of them. Times where you feel helpless and hopeless. I know I have. Most of these times I experienced before becoming a Christian. But I have personally experienced extreme lows. As we all have. Even as believers in Jesus Christ. And the lamentations and the the, the feelings of despair. And help, almost helplessness at times that you're going to see in the psalm. They're of a believer. They're of a believer. Um, And times like this. I I pray that we will see this. As horrible as they may feel at the time. They're really an opportunity. They're really an opportunity to grow in our faith. They're an opportunity to depend upon God more. And God, in his sovereign goodwill, brings these things into our lives. There's no accidents with God. God brings these difficult things into our lives for a good, righteous, and holy reason. God is, if you're going through this difficult trial today... You have to remember, and it's hard, I will admit that, it is very hard, that we need to remind ourselves that God is bringing us through it for a good reason. That we will be more dependent on him and be more like him. Changed, conformed. Times where God gives you a even a greater sense of his presence. Some of the most wonderful times in this psalm, we'll look at prayer. Some of the most wonderful times of prayer are in the greatest times of need. Sometimes in, we don't feel our need, we go through the motions. But times like this, described in this psalm, we have greater sense of his presence, of his nearness, of his closeness. Times which... Remove our attachment and our love of this world. And that's what's wonderful about them. Times which make us long for heaven and don't feel so clung to this world. Times which make us also feel for others. When we go through suffering, 
it makes us feel for other people who go through the same thing. There's very many good reasons why the Lord brings us through distress and pain. Often, sometimes it's only known to God. But as we look at this psalm, I want us to think about this. God won't leave you where you are. He will rescue you. He's a God who rescues. He has promised this and his promises never fail. And may this psalm here this evening teach us how to deal with trial and hardship. We'll all face it. We'll all face it. So rather than running from trial and difficulty and hardship, we deal with it in the right way. Seeking the right help. Looking to him, the author and the finisher of our faith. The first point we're going to look at here this evening from Psalm number four is a request. Number one, request. This first verse of this psalm says, Hear me when I call, O God of my righteousness. Hear me when I call. The psalmist is crying out to God. He's in great need. He sees his great need. Hear me when I call. He says, you have relieved me in my distress. Have mercy on me and hear my prayer. He's in great need of help. And who does he call on? He says, O God of my righteousness. O God of my righteousness. Now where does our righteousness come from? Does it come from us? Does it come from our good works? Does it come from... No, it doesn't come from us at all. As believers in Jesus Christ, we can say that God is our righteousness because he has clothed us with the righteousness of Christ. We need a perfect righteousness and our righteousness is not good enough. It's not nearly good enough. We need it from another source. So when we call upon God, we come to him acknowledging that how we can come to him in the first place is from him. The righteousness that he provides, that God would look with favor upon our request. When we call out to God, we don't come in our own name. We come clothed in the righteousness that God himself has provided. Where does it come from? It comes from heaven. It comes from God himself. Christ's work, his death, his burial, his resurrection, and his ascension into heaven. And because of that, we can say by faith in Jesus Christ, O God of my righteousness, our source, how can God look upon favor and take pleasure in sinners and, and embrace sinners? Because he is our righteousness. In Jeremiah 23, verse 6, it says this, In his days Judah will be saved, and Israel will dwell safely. Now this is his name by which he will be called, the Lord, our righteousness. The Lord, our righteousness. So if, if Jesus is ours, he's our righteousness, and must call upon him for help so the, we, can, and we can only come before God if we are seen as just and holy. And this is only provided because of Christ, our only source. He rescues those who see and find their dependence 
upon him. Now, as we look at this, the psalmist is looking for relief, isn't he? In the middle of verse 1 it says this, You have relieved me in my distress. You have relieved me in my distress. So, dear friends, if you're going through distressing times here this evening, you feel weighed down. It's like a pressure weighing deep down upon you. There's suffering and turmoil in your heart and your mind. This is why and this is when, especially, we need to call out to God. If you feel like that, it's a wonderful opportunity to spend more time in prayer. It's not a time to run away from prayer. Sometimes we'll do that. But this is the time to pray. This is the time to disconnect the distractions, the phones, all those kind of things. Uh, All the things that can distract from the world and spend time alone with God and cry out to him. Because he is our sense of relief. And we were talking about that heaviness, that pressing. You have relieved me in my distress. There's almost a sense of that pressure being released in here, you have relieved me in my distress. See, we don't just need him for the world to come. We do need him for the world to come. We need him in this world as well. To endure. To face the challenges that a believer faces in this world. If we're completely comfortable in this world, if we love this world so much, then this world's our home. Now, because this world is not our home by faith in Jesus Christ... We're going to be distressed. We're going to suffer. We're going to have trial. We're going to have difficulty because sin, death, misery. We we don't feel comfortable in this world, do we? And so it's especially us who need this healing balm from heaven. When you call in in utter dependence on him, what does he bring? He He brings medicine. He brings relief. He brings comfort. He brings soothing balm for a weary soul. He wants you to call out to him. He alleviates trouble. I'm not saying he will remove it all. He relieve, you have relieved me in my distress. As we request for answer to prayer, we do so not in a sense we deserve what we ask for. We're coming in the name of Christ. And we mentioned earlier, oh God of my righteousness, it's because of Christ. We come to him because of Christ and he takes pity on us. Because we're asking what? Look at what he's asking for. The psalmist is asking for mercy. Have mercy upon me. And hear my prayer. He's not saying, look, I, I deserve this. Look at all the things I deserve. Why is this happening? No, no. Have mercy upon me. Have pity upon me. We ask for God to show us pity and mercy because... We don't deserve it. We look for grace. We look for God to look upon us favorably and to provide that righteousness which we lack. And to come. And this is why we come in the name of Christ. When we're praying, we always say, in the name of Jesus, don't we? We don't come in our own name, and our own reputation. Because when we come in the name of Jesus, we come in his righteousness, we come in his way, And we come clothed in his righteousness. So that the Lord will, would he turn away our prayers? If we come in the name of Christ, seeking his glory? No. These are the prayers that are wonderful. 
before the Lord. Not in our own name, not in our righteousness, but in the righteousness of Christ. So that's request as we're coming and asking for the Lord's help. Number two, now we're going to look at rebuke. Rebuke or correction. Um, So one is request, two is rebuke. And verse number two, how long? Oh, you sons of men, will you turn my glory to shame? How long? How long? Uh, There's almost like a a lament, isn't there? How long? Uh, How long is this going to go on for? Uh, An expression of grief or sorrow. And while he's doing this, this expression of, uh, you know, lamenting, there's a rebuke of those who wish to do the godly harm. Uh, How long, O you sons of men, will you turn my glory to shame? How long will you love worthlessness and seek falsehood, Selah? You see, in this world, If we serve Christ, if we're interested in the cause of truth, in this world it will cost you. But in the world to come, riches beyond anything we could ever imagine. During during these moments in this world, we're going to ask the question, aren't we? We're in the midst of it. We're in the middle of the times of distress. We're in the middle of turmoil. And we're saying, how long? Uh, Can I endure this? Can I deal with this? How long? How long will I have to endure this suffering? How long will these, uh, these fallen enemies of the gospel seek to afflict my soul? And this is what the psalmist is saying. How long? And this is something that's affected him personally. Will you turn my glory to shame? To afflict my soul? It's hard for him. There's no two ways about it. These enemies of the, of the psalmist, this is David writing this. Turn his glory into shame. What David would boast about, he'd boast about the Lord, he'd boast about the gospel, he'd boast about Christ his Savior. But that is turned into an object of mockery. An object that, that others, while it is something of glory, the, the world and those who are enemies of the gospel will turn it into something to mock. And, and that's why it's something that's been turned my glory to shame. Something that is to, to, to be honored and that is radiant is really said to be something that doesn't have any radiance and actually is an object of scorn, an object of mockery. Something we ought to celebrate has been mocked, turned into a thing of shame. That which is loving is really called unloving. That which is good is called bad. I'll just turn briefly there to Isaiah 5. Isaiah 5, verses 20 to 21. Isaiah 5, verses 20 to 21. Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness, who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Woe to those who are wise in their own eyes and prudent in their own sight. Those who, again, will, as the psalmist says, turn glory to shame. Those who will call evil good and good evil, who will put darkness for light and light for darkness, who will put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Everything's turned on its head. Everything, that which is evil and wrong, and we see loads of examples of it in society. Um, Something that would have been called 
Um, things that would have been called child abuse 20 years ago are, are routinely praised in our media today. Uh, there are you know, children saying they're in the wrong body and going presenting themselves before people and been giving all these horrific treatments all in the name of being progressive or whatever it may be called these days. You would have been arrested probably if you did that 10, 20 years ago. These are people who make evil, call evil good and good evil. But it's not just those people, those nasty people out there. There will be different ways of, ter- of calling that which is good evil. That which is beautiful, calling it ugly. That which is wonderful and praiseworthy, mocking it. The enemies of David and the enemies of the gospel message. Now God is our glory. And dear friends, glory awaits all of us if we've humbled ourselves in this life. If we, if we have suffered with the people of God. Glory awaits. But there is a suffering. There is a suffering in this world. If there's no suffering in this world for the sake of Christ. Well... There is going to be suffering in this world. Now the degree to which will vary from person to person. And it depends where we live. If you live in, in, in different countries. In parts of Asia. In Saudi Arabia. If you live in North Korea. This, the level of suffering is far greater than it's going to be here. But there will be a certain level of suffering here. Even in Rathra Island. You follow the truth. According to the word of God. And you may, people may separate from your company. That may happen. It will depend on the level. But there will be a sense of, you could say, tarnishing of our reputation for the cause of Christ and the service of Christ. But remember this. In Romans 8, 18, it says this. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. It's not like it's like comparable. The glory which awaits us is far greater than any suffering we endure in this world. And I think if we even had a greater glimpse of the glory to come, we'd be far, far more willing to endure. But we need greater glimpses of that glory ahead, don't we? And that glory can be seen in the scriptures as we meditate upon the word. There's another, that second lament there in verse 2. How long will you love worthlessness and seek falsehood? To the believer, those who love the truth, the idea of hating the truth is lamentable. It doesn't make sense to us. We look at the world and we think, how can these people love such things? How can they love something of no value? How can they love, as one translation puts it, how long will he love vanity, worthlessness, emptiness, things of no value? How long will you seek after falsehood, a deceptive thing, lying? And that's what the world loves. The unconverted heart is really described here. How long will you love worthlessness? How long will you seek falsehood? And for the believer... Sometimes we wonder, and you share the gospel with somebody, you wonder, how long? How long? And this lament is also a rebuke. 
A rebuke for the unconverted heart. How long will you continue in this broad road that goes eventually to destruction and ruin? Number three now, response, response. So we've looked at request, rebuke, response. God responds to our cries in rescuing us, which is wonderful. Verse three, but know that the Lord has set apart for himself him who is godly. We may lament. We may cry out how long. We may wonder how long can we keep going and all these kind of things. But know that the Lord has what? Set apart. For himself. Isn't that wonderful? For himself. Him who is godly. And the Lord will hear when I call to him. This is wonderfully Comforting. God responds to us. God rescues us, not just from our sin, but also in distress and difficulty. And he, he rescues a specific group of people who is godly. Now, I know that might seem to contradict what I said earlier. It's not our, it's not our godliness, but this is what the people rescued looked like. It's not that we're perfectly holy. It's that those who are rescued show evidence or fruit or godliness that is different to the rest of the world. Now I know that there are some people who will appear godly outwardly, but they're not really. That will happen. And there are also those who have weak faith, and we may be, when we get to heaven, oh, okay, he was there too. We'll be probably surprised when we get there. So none of us have a perfect ability to know sometimes who is saved and who is lost. Sometimes, though, it is crystal clear that somebody is lost. And somebody is a slave openly to sin. Paul even writes about certain sins. When people are slave to certain sins, it says in 1 Corinthians 6, verses 9 to 11, Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Paul is being very forceful here. Do not be deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. But here's the hope. And such were some of you. There's a change. You're no longer those things. But you were washed You are sanctified, you are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. If somebody is still a slave to drunkenness, if somebody's still a slave to all these things, I'm not saying somebody doesn't struggle with these things, that's different. But someone who is defined by particularly heinous sins mentioned there. But God rescues. Those, if, if that described, and such were some of you. You're no longer those things. You're washed. You're sanctified. You're justified. I myself was the drunkard. I'm no longer that. I am washed, sanctified, justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Because he is set apart for himself, him who is godly. And we'll hear him when he calls 
And when he rescues us, he gives us a love for better things. He gives us a love for our new home, our heavenly Canaan. Verse 4 says this, be angry and do not sin. You see, because as believers in Jesus Christ, when we see sin around us, how are we going to react? It's going to affect us. It's going to cause us to, almost like the language here is, tremble or shake, be agitated and do not sin. Because it will affect us. In the presence of sin, we love righteousness and then sin will often make us angry. You think of Jesus, Matthew 21, 12 and 13. Then Jesus went into the temple of God and drove out all those who bought and sold in the temple and overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold doves. And he said to them, it is written, my house shall be called a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of thieves. Jesus got angry, but it was a righteous anger. The temple of God was corrupted. It was corrupted by men's inventions, contrary to the use God had given. Sometimes we will feel difficult. It will be difficult in the presence of sin. But it says, be angry and do not sin. Meditate in your heart on your bed and be still. Sometimes our reactions, our responses to these things, it's hard. There's nothing easy about this. Meditate, think about it within your heart, on your bed. Verse 5, offer the sacrifices of righteousness and put your trust in the Lord. When Job heard in Job chapter 1, he heard about the death of his children, of his animals, everything. You know, Job chapter 1 is a very hard chapter to read. I don't know if you find a hard chapter to read. I do. It was like wave after wave of things taken away from him. How did Job react? Worshipping God. Because we, in, in those situations, we have two options. We can either worship God or we can become bitter. And the psalmist is saying, worship God. Offer the sacrifice of righteousness. Put your trust in the Lord. Job did not charge God foolishly. Even though it was incredibly difficult what Job went through. Of course it was. So when we go through difficult trials of distress, we should almost think about worship. Trusting God that he is bringing us through this for a good, righteous, and holy reason. So that's response number three. Finally, number four is reassurance. Reassurance. God, in the midst of trials, gives our hearts wonderful reassurance. If you go through church history, the the people we remember as these great saints of old, the missionaries, they went through incredible trials and difficulties. And sometimes you read of their, you know, the prayer diaries and different things like that. They went through the most difficult times. 
Why did God bring them through that? So that what happened in their life happened. Had they not gone through those difficult times, God would not have been able to do a work in their hearts. The most important thing God wants from you, dear friends, it's not worldly success and what the world thinks is success. He wants our hearts. And sometimes he will bring us through distress so that we give him everything. Everything that we are. In looking at this reassurance, look at verse 6. There are many who say, who will show us any good? Lord, lift up the light of your countenance upon us. So there's still this difficulty. There is those in opposition. There are many who say, who will show us any good? Who's going to do you any good? But the Lord reminds us at, at times of his special love that he has for those in Christ. Notice how I say special love. There's a special love that Jesus, the Lord Jesus Christ, God the Father has for those in Christ that is not for everyone. There is a love that he's poured out upon you, a redeeming love, a rescuing love. Verse 7, you have put gladness in my heart more than in the season that their grain and wine increase. And the grain and wine, we almost think of, we might wonder how that's so wonderful today, but back then, that was the worldly goods. You could maybe substitute today. You know, you put more gladness in my heart than in the seasons of their millions of pounds. Or the grain and the wine, that is when, hey, you're rich, you're, you've made it, you're, 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 you're well to do. Verse 8, I will both lie down in peace and sleep, for you alone, O Lord, make me dwell in safety. See the, the reassurance. There's still the difficulty. The difficulty hasn't gone away. There's not just one or two says, who will show us any good? Many will say this. Many will say this. The devil if you're, if, you're, if you're serving the Lord, the devil will send his minions. Probably more when you're serving him than when you're not. He will. You will become the target, often, of many attacks. But the Lord is here. The Lord doesn't say, follow me and the, the difficulties will end. Actually, in some ways, the psalmist tells you, if you follow the Lord... Your troubles will get worse, but in this world, but the grace and the peace that God gives will increase in our hearts. There's a sense in which the world is going, why would you do any of this? Why would you go through this? But only those who've been changed by the Spirit of God will understand it. The Christian Message is worth suffering for. Jesus is the truth, the way, and the life. And this truth has not been tried and not worked. The truth has been mocked. And sometimes the church has become embarrassed about the truth and tried to change the truth herself. And in changing the truth, maybe the world will love us. 
and this has happened a lot throughout history. It happened in different countries about 100, 150 years ago, and there was more people came in, and eventually they lost the gospel itself. The world in its heart needs to be changed. The Christian message does not need to change. The message should never change to suit the mockers of the world. But in the midst of this distress, Christ brings light into our lives. And that's what we seek out for him. Lord, lift up your light of the light of your countenance upon us. His favor, his blessings to shine upon us. Because at the end of the day, the more you grow closer to the Lord, the, more, the closer you get to him. You do get to a point, and many of the most godly saints of old get to this point, where all they need is God's favor. They don't need the favor of man. How did Martin Luther, the early part of the Reformation, do what he did? Often standing alone, because he was just interested in the favor of God. He was not interested in the favor of many of the men who were seeking to kill him. Verse 7, you have put gladness in my heart more than the season that their grain and wine increased. Luther, before he was converted, he was a tormented man. How can I possibly reach the standards of Almighty God? And then he sees the just shall live by faith and he has a peace. He has a sense of reassurance and he has a joy that it doesn't matter what the world does to him. He doesn't care. He changed man. The devil may do all that he wants to do. But the more gladness the Lord puts in your heart. That's all you want. It's so wonderful and soothing. And that look it's better than wash. Verse 7. More than in the season that their grain and wine increased. The worldly goods the riches, the money, the praise and approval of men, it means nothing in comparison to the favor of God. Far greater is the joy and peace that he brings. Far greater is the reassurance that he brings because the reassurance of men is but temporary fleeting. But the reassurance of God is soothing and wonderful. Listen to what Thomas Watson said comparing the heavenly comforts with the earthly comforts. He said, there is as much difference between heavenly comforts and earthly as between a banquet that is eaten and one that is painted on the wall. You see what he's saying there? Do you ever look at food on a magazine and it just makes you hungry? It doesn't satisfy you very much. It actually makes you... But he says, look, there is as much difference between... Heavenly comforts and earthly comforts as there is between a banquet that is eaten and one that is painted on the wall. There's a huge difference between the comforts of heaven and the comforts of this world. They may satisfy for a while, but eventually it's like gravel in your mouth. Eventually the, that satisfaction that they may have given for a time, it goes, it fades and then look at the, the, the heavenly comforts, verse 8. I will both lie down in peace and sleep. For you, O Lord, make me to dwell in safety. You can't sleep if you feel like you're in danger. 
But if you feel protected, safe, I mean, if you're in your home, you get the walls around you, your doors are locked, it's a lot easier to sleep than it is in a dangerous neighborhood sleeping on the streets, isn't it? Safety. And we trust in the Lord for that protection around us. He reassures our hearts. The psalmist, what's wonderful about the psalms is this. It doesn't sugarcoat reality. This is life. This is following Christ. It's hard. And it's also wonderful at the same time. And that difficulty from the world often draws us to depend more upon Christ. So, as we sing this psalm here this evening, may it bring comfort to your hearts. May it, may it help us all to see what, what a wonderful is to serve, thing to, serve, to suffer for Christ. And that seems like a strange thing to say, doesn't it? Gladly suffering. But the more we grow and the more we have the light of Christ and the more it shines upon us, we see that this is the only way have true and lasting gladness. This gladness in our hearts. This gladness which, look, you have put gladness in my heart more than in the season their grain and wine increased. Amen.